just wonderful to be able to praise our God in singing like that. Tonight we're going to be reading from Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 7 to 13. And in the Pew Bibles, that's on page 1238. So that's Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. And uh, these are a terrific set of verses. You know, I've probably read them a few times over the years. But uh, as I was reading them again in preparation for this, I'm really looking forward, Nick, to uh, what you're going to say. And uh, um, I know that God's going to really speak to us through these words. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, they are, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will I leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's just pray as Nick comes to speak to us. Father, we thank you for your presence with us tonight. We thank you that your spirit, which spoke to the churches 2,000 years ago, is still speaking to churches and to our hearts today. We pray that you will speak through your servant, Nick, as he explains this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Thank you, David. Good evening, everyone. Great to be gathering with you here tonight. I might just head forward a little bit here. A little wobbly lectern here. Uh, how are you going? Who's going away for Easter? Yeah? Who, who's going camping? I know Amy is. Good stuff. Well, I hope you have a good week. And uh, is it kind of a study break for those who are studying this week? Is it a reading week or not quite? It's the same, Okay. Hang in there. Tonight's theme is Dear Weary Church. So if you're weary from study, hang in there. Uh, If you are visiting, welcome. Great to have you here. Uh, And uh, we're kind of week six into a a series on the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, and a series of letters that were written to these church communities in modern-day Turkey. Uh, It wasn't Turkey then, but it was part of the the Roman Empire. And... uh, this is the sixth letter. Now, one thing to note, just for those that you've been here for a bit of the time the last month or two, is that 
this document, this, this revelation that the Apostle John, he was a follower of Jesus, he spent three years with Jesus, and then he um, you know, had many decades of serving, of mission, of ministry all over the kind of known world then, and uh, he's in prison on a Greek island called Patmos, and he's praying one day, and he, he has this vision, this almost visitation of, of, of Christ, of, of Jesus the risen Lord, appear to him and, and speak these words. So this book comes out of a, a mystical, spiritual experience, a vision, a visitation. Uh, and this letter is, these letters are sent to all the, the church communities and this last book of the Bible. As it goes on, we're not going to go any further than chapter 3, but as it goes on, it's, a, it's called an apocalyptic book. And apocalyptic means, um, you know, a secret, an unveiling of, of a secret, a revealing of a mystery. And it gives a little glimpse, if you like, into the way the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God are interacting over the course of human history. And uh, it's kind of a cyclical book. So sometimes people get a bit stuck in Revelation and they, they try and work out, well, who, who's this referring to and who's that referring to? And at different times in church history, um, well-meaning, faithful Christians have, have thought, oh, well, the book of Revelation talks about the end time. It's talking about our time. It's talking about, you know, Martin Luther thought in the 1500s, the great Protestant reformer, that what was happening in his time with the corrupt pope and, and a corrupt church system and um, wars and famines. And he read Revelation and thought, this is it. You know, it's talking about the end of the world. And that was 500 years ago, right? So it didn't happen. So it's kind of cyclical. Now, it, the, the kingdoms of this world kind of rise and fall. There are problems and pandemics. I actually feel I'm really loud here, Dan. Could you, could you pull this mic down a bit? Thanks. I don't want to oppress these people with my voice. Thank you. Uh, I can speak up if I need to, uh, but that's great. So it, it kind of talks about that, but it also does reference that there is one last cycle of human history. There will be one last one. When the book of Revelation kind of comes to its, its total fulfillment and, and the kingdoms of this world cease and, and God is seen again by, by all humanity, God appears again, Jesus appears and brings everything together. We won't get into how we might understand that. There's a couple of different uh, ways in the Christian world of understanding what happens when Christ returns. But um, we could look around our world and say, well, there are wars, there are famines, there's all sorts of trouble. And we could get concerned about that. And we'll be right to be concerned. Um, but understand that the book of Revelation was sent to encourage churches and Christians. When you see crazy things happen, when you see kingdoms rise and fall, when you see pandemics and floods and wars and pestilence and violence and corruption in society, when you see that, don't freak out. Don't think that God's forgotten you. Don't think that God's not in control. He is. And there will come a point when finally all that evil, all of that corruption, all of that human sinfulness of the world will be finally dealt with uh, on the last day. So we're not going to get into any of that. We're just in the first two chapters of Revelation. And tonight we're, uh, we're going into the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is also a name of a really nice cream cheese too. Um, now remember all of these uh, churches, they, they are receiving these letters all at once. 
So like if you're Philadelphia, let's say we're Philadelphia, we've just heard the previous five letters read. We've heard about Sardis and Pergamum, Thyatira. We've heard these churches that are getting some really strong rebukes from from Jesus uh, and, and some real discipline. And we're kind of waiting for our turn, our letter, what's, what's the risen Jesus going to say to us? And the really good thing for the Church of Philadelphia is it's, it's all good. There's actually no criticism of the church community. It wasn't necessarily a fancy church, a big church, a great church, um, but it was a faithful church. And Philadelphia was a, was a powerful city in many ways, but... Um, you know, trade, agriculture, you can see there, leather industries, wine, textiles. Um, the city was to be a mission for disseminating Greco-Asiatic culture and language. So we call it Hellenism, that the Greeks had a, a, a kind of program of promoting their culture, their language, their, their heritage across the known world at the time. Uh, and Philadelphia was meant to be a point at which the Greek culture, the Greek language could kind of head out and, and, you know, it's like a mission centre uh, for Greek culture and language. Uh, it was also a place where lots of earthquakes had happened over history. And in the early first century, a massive earthquake destroyed many cities in that region, including Philadelphia. And all the temples and all the big buildings kind of fell down. It was a devastated city. So it had been in a process of rebuilding. And that will be important as we go on uh, to remember that. Uh, keep that in mind. Now, the church at Philadelphia, although we don't really know the origin of the Philadelphian church, just as a bit of church history, we know in AD 100 to 160, around that time, the church was prospered under the ministry of a prophetess named Amia, a female leader in the church who was universally recognized as ranking with Agabus. He was a prophet in the book of Acts. And the four daughters of Philip, four other um, women who prophesied, in her, in her possession of the gift of prophecy. So church history tells us that in that first part of the second century, the church uh, was led and influenced by this uh, Christian female leader who had a prophetic gift. Um, long after the surrounding country had succumbed to Muslim control uh, through uh, from the 7th century onwards, Philadelphia held out as a Christian populace till 1392 when Ottoman Sultan Bayezid I captured the city. And that's a picture of Sultan Bayezid there. It's not Alan F. Johnson, by the way. Did you get that? I was banking on that. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. <laughs> so the city uh, fell and became part of the Ottoman Turkish Empire, uh, but it was a stronghold of Christian presence for many times. <laughs> so I actually thought the church in Philadelphia would have felt a bit like this. This is the Suez Canal. Um, how would you like to be the captain of that ship? You've just um, stopped trade around the world by um, parking your ship on the bank there and blocking the, the causeway. But the church of Philadelphia would have felt a bit like that. Like, like this tiny, insignificant little digger thing there against this massive, powerful culture uh, and civilization, they would have felt under siege and threatened. And we don't know what that's like. We live in the remnants of a Christianized culture. Uh, it's kind of de-Christianizing in many ways, but um, this, this is what it would have felt like to be the church at Philadelphia. Small, insignificant, overpowered, and, and under threat. Uh, in, in so many ways. So as we've seen through these letters, 
there's, there's often several parts to the letters, characteristics, something about who Jesus is, something about his character, a compliment, like a, a commendation, and then a criticism, uh, a command, something that Jesus tells the church they need to be doing or do, and then a commitment from Jesus to what, what his promise is to them. That's kind of the framework of the letter. So let's have a bit of a look through it. Um, we are a church. We deal with the Bible each week. Hope that's not a surprise if you are visiting. Uh, if it is, um, well, hopefully you'll get something out of this tonight. But the, the letter goes to the, the church in Philadelphia from the angel, or that can also be translated messenger. Uh, it might refer to a leader in, in each of the church communities or, or a genuine real angel. Um, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And there's a lot in there which we can't unpack, but just a couple of things. Now, he who is holy, that was a title reserved for God in the Old Testament. God revealed himself as holy. I am holy. And here Jesus, the risen Jesus, is, is saying to the church, I am holy, I am true. That is, he is God. He has authority. And true, um, in, in the Greek context, it, doesn't, it means two things. Um, the same word is used in the Greek for reality or real. So he's like saying, I am the true, I am the real one. Um, truth corresponds to reality. Reality corresponds to truth. Jesus is saying, I am holy. I, I am God. I am true. I am the real one. I am reality itself. But it also means trustworthy and faithful. I'm, I'm real. I'm trustworthy and faithful. And I hold the keys of David. What's that about? Um, well, this is where knowing the Old Testament is really important as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Um, David was promised a kingdom by God that that kingdom would never end, that it would have a king on the throne forever. Well, well that kingdom did end, seemingly, um, late in, in the, the, before the first century, and it seemed like there was no king. And here Jesus is saying, I am the king of that line, that fulfillment, that promise to God, to King David in the Old Testament. I hold that, the authority of God's kingdom and his purposes. And what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. We'll look at that in a moment, a little bit more. Uh, but for now, let's look at the compliment, and there's quite a bit of compliment here. Uh, remember, when there has been rebuke or criticism, it's out of love. Uh, God disciplines and tells us the truth and, and deals with us in a, in a real and true way, um, out of love, not to condemn us, but to bring us to life and, and fruitfulness. Jesus says, I know your deeds, Philadelphian church. I, see, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and you haven't denied my name. Remember, they're, they're a tiny, small community. They're surrounded by religious persecution, by cultural, political persecution. They're, and they stood firm. They haven't like, you know, they've gone to work on Monday and someone said, so what would you do on the weekend? They didn't kind of go, yeah, yeah, had a good time. Um, they went, yeah, I gathered with other people at church and worship Jesus. Um, they didn't deny Jesus. Um, I will make those who are synagogue of Satan, we'll look at that in a moment, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but lies. I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you since you've kept my command to endure patiently 
I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. There's a a lot in there to unpack and we can just take a couple of things, which I will. Um, But just I'll get to the synagogue of Satan stuff in a moment. But just this image of of people coming falling down at their feet it's it's jesus saying to this little community that though these people don't acknowledge you as being of god or from god or having god's acceptance um, don't worry one day they'll see and some people think it's a reference to like a, a revival and a and an influx of jewish people into the faith most of the first christians in the first century at least the you know from the book of acts onwards were were jewish people uh, they were Jews who were waiting for their Messiah and, and believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Um, but it turns out over time that they began to be separated and persecuted from their Jewish community. Now, they were separated from the synagogues. They were like kicked out of the church. And you might think, oh, well, you know, it's no big deal. You can just go to another one. But the synagogue was not just their religious center. It was their cultural center. It was their social centre, their legal centre. Uh, everything happened there. So it was like having no access to the, the town market, the town legal system, the town social centres, the, the town church. When, when they were saying that they believed in Jesus, they were threatened. If you continue to hold this belief, we're going to kick you out of the synagogue. You'll lose everything. So it was really full on. So Jesus is saying to the church, there'd be Jewish people in that church who've been kicked out and being told, you're not from God. God doesn't accept you. God doesn't love you because you believe in this Jesus. And Jesus is saying to them, don't worry, hang in there. I'll reveal myself and people will know the truth. So that's an encouragement. And then I'll just touch base on the Jewish kind of situation here. The Old Testament is foundational for Christians um, and the New Testament is not anti-Jewish. Unfortunately, over history, the New Testament has been used at times uh, to promote anti-Semitism, hatred or violence against Jewish people. Um, It's not that at all. Uh, That that can't be justified in the New Testament. And also the Old Testament, we, we need to read it through who Jesus is, what he's done. We need to hear its testimony and to help us understand a lot of what we read in the New Testament. I've often used this metaphor, but I'll say it in a different thing. I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I'm not even sure if I want to. But it goes for like nine seasons, apparently. It's a long series. And there's like dozens of episodes. There's like heaps of them. And, you know, imagine you come in on episode season nine, let's just say. I don't know how many there were. Um, and you come in on the, the second last episode. And you sit down and you watch it. What's going on here? Who's he? How does she fit in? You've got no context of how to understand what's going on. And that's why the Old Testament's important. It gives us context and foundation for understanding when the New Testament talks about the keys of David and so forth. And even in the letters that we've looked at so far, there's heaps of Old Testament references. The tree of life, the teaching of Balaam, the hidden manners from Exodus. The woman Jezebel, that's an Old Testament story. In the book of Revelation, there's um, 400 references just in the book of Revelation to the Old Testament. There's so many allusions, so many references. So I want to encourage you to 
to read the Bible, it's like a free book. You, you know, you can take one here if you haven't got one. Um, we don't mind if you steal the Bible uh, and read it. And, and that's why we have Bible studies. That's why we encourage people to read, to, to build up our understanding of all that's gone before so we can know more of what God's doing and who he is. Now, let's have a look at the couple of themes here in this, in this letter. And I think, I think there's some really important things, especially for all of us, but you younger ones who are thinking about future and decisions and um, you know, trying to work out what you're going to do and what you should do and what you want to do. What is the open door that, that Jesus talks about in the letter? The Apostle Paul used this phrase to describe opportunities for lively evangelistic work or mission work. A great door for effective work has opened to me, said Paul. Some interpreters have argued that the risen Lord is encouraging these believers in Philadelphia to become more aggressive in their witness, like to take hold of the opportunities to share their faith. On the other hand, uh, a nearby text, Revelation 4.1, says that the open door refers to heaven. After this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And scholars get bogged down in this and they're like, well, which one is it? And I'm, I'm just so much not an either-or person. I'm a both-and. I, I, lo- I think they're both are relevant to us. So for you now here tonight, I say, what, what open doors is God putting before you in your life? What opportunities to serve him? What possibilities, what open doors are there that God's putting before you? to serve him and also do you know that as a follower of jesus you have an open door to heaven you have access to god through faith through prayer it's not closed god's not angry he's not kind of mad he's not um you know condemning you if you're in christ if you're his child in jesus you have an open door to heaven and how might that help you face the life and challenges you you have right now let's just drill into that a little bit an open door to mission now jesus saved us from sin that's what we believe as christians he saved us from sin from judgment but he saved us for freedom for purpose and for life faith is spelt it's a bit cheesy but go with me r-i-s-k Faith equals risk in the New Testament over and over again. We aren't called to just not sin. To just be good people and moral, upright people, that's a good start. But that's not the whole of our calling as followers of Jesus. We're called to love fiercely and to move forward, to move ahead, to be bold in in mission, to be bold in sharing Jesus. It's not just, well, just... Try not to sin and be a good person and that, that's all. That's a good start. Jesus has saved us from our sins. But he saved us for freedom, for purpose and for life. Now, if you aren't depending on God for anything, then you don't need faith. If there's no risk, if there's no possibility of failing, if there's no uncertainty or unknown in your life, if you've got it all pinned down and you know, it's all safe and comfortable. Why would you actually need faith? Faith is risk. It is edgy. And I think so much in the New Testament, you see that the Holy Spirit is moving and, and encouraging and inspiring people to move out through open doors, people to take hold of opportunities, people not to draw back and be fearful and just kind of play it safe, but to step out 
in faith. So what opportunities are before you in your life right now to serve God and God's purposes? What opportunities, what open doors are there? Or perhaps conversely, are you stuck? Do you feel like you're stuck? You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't know what you should be doing, what you could be doing. You feel stuck. Well, Jesus has been described as the one who has the keys, that he opens doors, he shuts doors. He can unstuck you as you pursue him and press into him and pray. So what opportunities are there that God's put before you in your life? And perhaps where are you stuck or or kind of feeling closed and, and God has freedom and purpose and open doors for you, but you're not seeing it right now? Take hold of him in prayer. Talk to trusted friends and other fellow Christians. The other one is the open door to salvation. What if, because of Jesus Christ, you will live forever And your future is filled with light, purpose, love, glory, and joy. What if because of Jesus Christ, nothing or no one in this life, no personal failure or sin, not the past, present, or future, nothing can take away that salvation and future from you? What would that look like with making decisions, with dealing with issues, with dealing with grief or pain or loss or suffering or confusion or doubt, whatever it might be, if you took hold of this open door that Jesus has given you through the cross, through his resurrection, that your future, my future in him, is secure. It doesn't matter what happens in this earth. Earthquakes, pandemics, war, poverty, famine, whatever, political corruption, societal collapse it doesn't matter no one can close that door that's your future in Jesus that's your future with God it's secured filled with light purpose love glory and joy does anyone believe that and and imagine what that can do to transform how you see your life how you see Um, your relationships, your your marriage, your longing for a partner, your decision-making about study and jobs and so forth. You don't have to feel pressured. Um, You're not going to miss out on anything ultimately because there's so much to come, so much glory, so much grace, so much goodness, so much joy, uh, and that should create peace and uh, comfort in this current moment. Through Jesus, God has opened a door to himself and his kingdom. But have you walked through that door? Do you believe? Do you trust in Jesus? I'm just not talking you've read the Bible a bit, your family's Christian, you grew up in a Christian home, you kind of know the stuff. Do you really know and love Jesus and know his love in your life? Have you really tasted and seen and heard his glory, his love, his goodness? Have you come through that door? Do you have that assurance? Because the door's open through Jesus. Let's just look at why we might not walk through those open doors sometimes. Well, maybe you like it on your side of the door. I like it here. It's comfortable. It's familiar. Why would I want to mix all this up and change all this? 
Why would I want to mess up my life by going through an open door? I'm not sure what's going to happen. Maybe you're afraid of, of the unknown or unknown things. Well, what will happen if I step out, lose control? It takes effort. It takes effort to take hold of what God has for us. Sometimes I, I really believe strongly that God just waits off ahead of us a bit. He doesn't give us everything or tell us everything. He just waits off a bit ahead and waits for us to, to say, we really want what you want for us, God. I really want what you have for me. I want to take hold of it. And you kind of take hold of his foot and don't let it go. Take hold of his garment and say, Lord, I want what you want. Um, sometimes you've got to dig for it and fight for it in prayer. Maybe you can't be sure of the outcome. What if I take a risk and take this opportunity or go through this open door I think God's opening? I don't know what's going to happen. That's why you need faith. Um, you doubt or are unbelieving. Maybe you just don't believe God has anything for you. Maybe you just don't believe that God can't use you, God won't use you, or God um, is not interested in you. That's all false and wrong. Um, finally, there'll be opposition. The Philadelphian church knew that. All the Christians in the New Testament and many around the world today know there's opposition when you pursue what God has for you, when you go through the open doors of opportunity. There is risk. There is opposition. There is trouble. I remember when Amanda and I were praying about coming to Kew Baptist about 10 years ago, um, we, we really struggled. We really wrestled with whether God was calling us to come. And we just felt in this space for two or three months where... We were just unsure. We couldn't get a, a strong yes, a strong no. Um, in, in some ways, kind of in our heart, we, we didn't really want to come because we'd been in different types of church communities and Q was a different church for us in terms of its history and its traditions and so forth. And we kind of weren't sure. And then one day I was praying at home and, and I, I think I was in tears because I really just didn't know. We just didn't know what God was calling us to do. And I remember looking in our lounge room and there was like an open doorway. And look, as best as I believe God spoke to me, I just sensed God saying, I've placed before you an open door. And you can walk through the open door. Or you can not walk through the open door. And sometimes that's hard, isn't it? You say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And then God says, what do you want to do with your life? <laughs> like, oh, so I get to say as well. And so we prayed about it, and I shared it with Amanda, and we just felt God had placed an open door, an opportunity for mission and ministry, and we decided to walk through. And 10 years later, we're glad we did walk through, and uh, we, we look forward to um, our time that we have here. So for you, perhaps there's an open door uh, that you know of already. Perhaps there's a stuckness or an uncertainty. Pray through that, talk through that. But God does have opportunity for you. He does have possibilities ahead for you. Uh, no one who's a follower of Jesus is not needed or not important in the mission that Jesus has for the world. And that could express itself in many different ways. Maybe you're working in a cafe at the moment, you're studying, and you're like, I don't want to work in a cafe. It's not what I want to do. I just want to do a shout-out for hospitality workers, by the way. It's a great thing. Don't, don't knock it. I worked in that industry for 10 years, and hospitality is good. Um, so enjoy that hospitality work. But wherever you might be, you might be in a situation like, this is not what I want to do. This is not where my heart is. Okay, well, don't kind of just whinge about it. Like, ask God for opportunities where you are. Lord, I'm not even sure what I'm meant to be doing here or doing. Just say, God, use me. Give me some opportunities. Open some doors here. 
uh, to serve you, to be used by you. Um, don't get stuck in thinking that, that it's always on ahead. God can use you and take hold of your life where you are if you let him. Now, Philadelphia receives no criticism, so we'll just jump over that one. But then finally, just a couple of things. Uh, Jesus promises that he is coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Now, coming soon is mentioned a lot in the Bible. The Lord's promise to come soon is repeated five times in Revelation, always in the first person. It's always Jesus speaking. A similar phrase is found in the opening verse of Revelation. All the promises Christ made concerning his soon return are given from the perspective of eternity rather than earth. The return of Christ is always soon for Christian people. So imagine the people then thinking he's coming soon. Well, it's been 2,000 years, right? It doesn't sound like soon, but from God's perspective, a thousand years is like a blink, you know, or a day. That's what the Bible says. So it's from his perspective, the soonness. But if you think about it, everyone in this room here will see the risen Jesus within the next 70 years, give or take some of you reaching 110. That's pretty soon, right? The average life is 4,200 weeks. By the time you're 21, you've spent 1,000 weeks already. So you've got 3,200 by the time you're 21. It's not that long. And so the, the promise is be ready. Take this seriously. We will all stand before God. We will all see him. And in Jesus, we get to see God with joy and worship and, and great love and celebration. Um, but take that seriously. It's a promise and it's also a warning. I'm coming soon. And this is the commitment to finish on this. Jesus says, the one who is victorious, that is the one who persists in following him and believing in him, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. It's a bit of a pattern happening here, right? The new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from whoever, and I will write on them uh, my new name. So we get tattoos in heaven. Whoever has ears, let them hear. It's true. The Bible says that. It's a tattoo, right? We, whoever has ears, let them hear. And it's free. You don't have to pay for it. What the Spirit says. Now, this is a beautiful promise of intimacy. It's Jesus saying as the Son of God, the God that he has enjoyed eternity with and and now dwells with in glory, that 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 creator God, that almighty God, the Father, is our God as well. And it's Jesus including his people. It's Jesus um, giving us access and intimacy, ownership, that we belong to God, that God will share these wonders and these glories with us, that Jesus will share his intimate new name. Um, We're not really too sure what that's about, but it's a picture of intimacy, of closeness, of um, ownership, uh, of security, of safety, and it's a beautiful promise. And I'll just pick one thing out as we finish um, with that promise. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, remember at the start, I said Philadelphia was a region that had massive earthquakes. And there would have been people in this community that may have had a living memory of that massive earthquake in the first century that flattened the whole city. Now, where's the most dangerous place to be in an earthquake? Epicenter, I'm looking for a bit more detail. 
in a building, right? So all the buildings in the centre of Philadelphia, all the columns, all the, all the big temples, all the civic buildings would have all collapsed. And people have this memory of the, the danger of those pillars falling on them and these buildings collapsing. And Jesus is saying, if you persist, if you persevere with me, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. It's a picture of security, of safety, of home. And he's saying, don't put your trust, don't put your hopes in the things of this world. There's good gifts that God gives us and there's grace that he gives us and material blessings. But don't put your trust in it. You can't put your trust and your hope and your security and your safety in anything in this world. Remember what happened to the city? Remember all the pillars falling down, all the buildings collapsing? Remember how dangerous that was? Remember people dying? He says, but you continue with me and I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God, secure for all eternity. No pain, no suffering, no carnage, no damage, no evil, no destruction. What a glorious promise. What a wonderful uh, promise that Jesus brings to us. Let me pray as the team comes up. Lord, we, we want to thank you for this encouraging letter. Lord, there's so much here that we can't really um, go into in great detail, but for what we have heard, Lord, would you help us to know that ultimately you are the one who opens doors and we want to walk through the doors that you open, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, for all my dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ here, for myself, Lord, would you open the doors for each one of us that you have for us? Would you give us faith and courage to walk through the doors that you are opening? Lord, would you shut the doors which are not of you? Lord, where we're stuck and we can't see the way and we're confused and we're unsure, Lord, would you help us not stay in that confusion, that stuckness, but to take hold of you, to persist in prayer, to pray through that until we come to a place of knowing and seeing the opportunities to serve you, the opportunities to live our lives and use our gifts and be the people you've made us to be. Father, open the doors that you have for us and close the doors that are not from you. Lord, would you seal in our hearts afresh that knowledge that salvation is an open door to heaven, that through Jesus we have access to the one true God, the God of glory and the God of grace, and to have that perspective as we study, as we work in our marriages, in our relationships, in our singleness, Lord, that we can look upon our daily circumstances with the eyes of faith, knowing that ultimately, whatever happens in this life, you will not close that door. We have access to you. We have an open doorway to you, God, through Jesus. And Lord, I pray also that our security and our safety, our identity, our purpose would be found in you. We thank you for the gifts of this world. We thank you for the many blessings you give us. But Lord, give us hearts set on you, eyes that seek you and follow after you, hands that serve you, feet that run to you. Lord, each of us has a great opportunity to serve you. You've called all of us who are followers of Christ. And Lord, I pray for those who 
don't yet believe, haven't yet believed, who don't know the reality of your goodness and grace, your kingship and your power. Father, perhaps tonight is the night where they take a risk and go through that open door of faith and believe. Father, bless us and guide us as we serve you, as we worship. Uh, Father, as we set out uh, into the unknown, uh, Lord, guide us and be with us, we pray. Amen.